Alrighty, howdy and hello everyone, and welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and I'm joined by Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. You know, um, you are not the only person that's joining, I guess, us, me, maybe I'm joining you, um, but we are joined by Miss Kristen Burford, uh, who is our adult ministries pastor. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. This is our very first guest, isn't it, Wyatt? It is. Ooh, I feel privileged. I'll tell you what. You ought to. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exciting. And I figured um, we should probably bring in some guests so that people don't get tired of listening to us, if they aren't already. Yeah, I think they are already. Probably so. Probably so. It's just, it started off with more than just our moms, as you said it was going to be, but right. now it's just back to our moms. Is it? <laughs> yeah, probably so. Probably and then, so. And then I joined you, like, maybe last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... But anyways, no, we did want to bring on different people with different perspectives, um, and particularly for the topic that we're going to jump into today. But before we get there, Kristen, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I was born and raised in rural Iowa, so true farm girl. Um, I started my college career there in Drake University and quickly realized it wasn't for me, so went to school out in California, so couldn't go any farther away (laughs) to do that. Um, Graduated from Cal Poly uh, University. What did you study? Uh, Marketing management. Marketing management. Yes. Yes. It's a big title for, you know, selling stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then um, started work out there. um, Did a lot of different crazy jobs, but uh, started my main career in, <clears throat> excuse me, Ingersoll ran the heavy equipment industry. Uh, thought I was going to be a, the first female water well drill saleswoman. Wow. And yeah. You've been renowned. Perspective changed <laughs> on that. First time I got out on a mine site where they had to call you in by CB at the time. Mm. Oh, yeah. Radio yeah. deal. And got out in the middle of that environment and said, eh, Not for you. Maybe huh? not. Maybe not. Uh, to which my dad said, thank you for not. And so then uh, finished up my college career and went into the pharmaceutical industry, which was more my speed and a marketing degree. Um, spent some time there. And then um, when our, in the middle of that, got married and had a couple kiddos and decided that maybe that environment we were in wasn't the best for raising kids and going to school, their education. So um, my husband and I moved to Texas, where he was from. And they always say you can't take the Texan out of Texas. Mm -hmm. And they're right. They always Um, come back. They always come back, yeah. So um, had had a couple young kiddos when we moved here and um, just uh, started to just stay home and raise them. Um, did some uh, more crazy jobs. I think one count I had like 17 different wow. jobs that I had mm, done. That yeah. looks good on that's a resume. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <It> depends. <laughs> depends if that looks good on a resume. Yeah. That's some, what I was, yes. I was being some facetious. No. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a short timer. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of reads like a weird novel for sure. Um, and then uh, had a tail ender kiddo. Um, so still raising raising kids. I have a 26-year-old down to a 13-year-old. So we'll be in the school system forever. <laughs> um, that's good. That's good, though. We enjoy it. Um, hobbies. I 
Um, most of it spent around that 13-year-old. Uh, he loves to fish and play baseball and Boy Scouts, and so I don't really have hobbies other than Timothy. <laughs> uh, he is my hobby. Um, what else? I guess my my favorite things to do are anything around water. I love being by the water, so um, love to do that. And then um, recently, as recently as last week, uh, was accepted into seminary, so headed right. back to school after 25 years. It was that... <laughs> It was that impressive recommendation I wrote for you, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it was. That sent me over the edge. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you were concerned that your transcripts were like etched on stone. or It's been so long since you've been in school. Yeah, so they put a hold on my transcripts. And I thought, well, what in the world? You know, 25 years later, I couldn't even remember what I had done. Uh, my husband was teasing me that I had like some disciplinary action or <laughs> hadn't paid a bill or something. And I said, no, absolutely. They had to go find the stone that those things were carved on and take a picture of it. This is not so. a lie. When I was <laughs> filling out your recommendation and I signed it and was putting it in the envelope, I seriously had the thought, better her than me. Because my, I mean, I had a great seminary experience and I'm very, very grateful for it. But I think I have PTSD. I mean, the number of papers that I had to write every week and the amount of reading that had to be done and learning Hebrew, I was like, yeah, I, I don't think I could go back. So good on you, and I'll be over here on the sidelines cheering for you the whole way, and I, I'm sure you're going to do great. You'll be laughing a little. I'll be chuckling a little, for you sure. You know, as someone who just started seminary and someone who you've discussed the prospect of going to seminary, you didn't sell it very well this time. <laughs> No, it's it's not an easy road, so you better you better know what you want and why you want it because it's not easy. At least my experience wasn't. I was working through seminary too, so it just made it really hard. Yeah, you listing all those things kind of made the hair on the back of my neck stand up just a little bit. That and when I did the uh, the entrance essay, I was telling you. Um, doing MLA citations for the first time in 25 oh. years and all that's changed and, you know, like yeah. one space after a period. My, my fingers don't do that, don't do that anymore. No. So, yeah, it'll yeah. be an interesting journey, but I'm excited about You're it. You're going to do great. It'll be fun. Well, very good. So. Well, that sounds very good. Um, well, Kristen, we wanted to bring you in, um, in particular for the conversation that we're going to have today. Uh, because we're going to go back to a question that we received from the audience during our Q&A Sunday, which is a service that we have once a year where um, anybody in the audience, online or in person, can send in questions, uh, any question, and then Paul will answer them in real time from the stage. But given that we, he only has, um, well, realistically, like 45 minutes, he pushes it to an hour sometimes, um, you can't answer that many questions in depth. And also... Uh, this question in particular, which was the most upvoted, most desired to ask, um, we thought it appropriate to bring in you, given that you are a woman in ministry. And so the question was, um, what is the biblical, uh, what is the biblical opinion on women in ministry, and then cultural differences surrounding that? So that's a topic for that's the topic today. Today, that's a great topic. Yes. Hey, before we jump into that, let me tell you a little bit about my history with Kristen. So um, we met when our kids were just tiny. Uh, 
and we have our first two children are all both the same age and uh, our youngest two specifically kind of hit off a friendship when they were just they were still in diapers weren't they yeah just littles and so the Burfords became a part of our lives and and then eventually they moved right down the street from where we live we've lived what four houses apart from each other for almost 20 years and our kids grew up we were all in the same classes and so we were often at the same events and then we shared a church family together here at Sibyl Creek and then at some point uh, Kristen joined our staff team in a, an administrative support role and uh, just was phenomenal did a great job in that role and I began to see that it was more than just uh, an administrative uh, giftedness that she brought and I think also some of that very storied work career that she has. She brought a lot of skill sets to the table that our organization needed. But I just saw in her a heart for ministry, a heart for the church, a heart for people of all different walks of life. She has a huge heart for people who are hurting or struggling with life. And and so um, as she kind of changed roles around here, eventually I decided that Kristen would be a great pastor on our team. And, you know, we'll probably get into this a little bit later in the discussion, but here at Sybil Creek, one of the ways that we define a pastor is somebody who leads and loves our people well. And Kristen was just doing that, you know, miraculously or wonderfully or what all the the big words would be. She was really outstanding in her ministry to people and both in the leadership and the love capacity. So she was the very first woman to join our staff team as a pastor, and she has just shined in that that role and all the areas of ministry that she uh, oversees are thriving areas of ministry. She does a great job of leading the people or leading the leaders of those areas and then just has a a really wonderful voice in the life of our church and on our staff team. So her input is incredibly valued. A couple, what, two years ago, she had her first opportunity to teach in one of our services and knocked it out of the park. People still remember that message. They still refer to it. And uh, so she's um, done that once or twice now, getting ready for another opportunity here just in a week or so. And I've just really, really watched her blossom in the role of pastor. And, and again, we'll probably get into it. I've watched her wrestle with you know, her comfort level with all of that, being a woman and, you know, coming out of a background similar to mine where that wouldn't have been affirmed in any way and um, watching her deal with, you know, different opinions and perspectives on women in ministry. And and I just have loved her heart and I love, love her Uh, love for our church and our people and so it's been an honor to serve alongside of her and I you know I do I find a certain amount of satisfaction in watching her continue to blossom in her role she in some ways um, outpaces me I think even in some of the ways that she pursues an understanding of her role as a minister in the life of people she's great at reading things listening to podcasts she shares those with me from time to time and so I just I love her heart I love uh, the work that she does and she 
along with others, because we have we have uh, four other women who serve on our staff team as in the pastoral role, and um, I just have really appreciated her unique perspective and input as a woman in a ministry team and as a pastor on our team. And um, in many ways, what I was going to say is, in many ways, she has confirmed for me the things that I'm trying to um, implement by way of my understanding of women in ministry and how it all works, mm-hmm. how it all fits. So Kristen and Ashley and Janine and Charlotte, they've all done a really good job at being able to maintain a really wonderful attitude and humility about their role as a pastor. They've um, maintained a real you know, female feminine expression of that without feeling like they had to, you know, become men in that role. There's been none of that. And uh, the amount of wisdom that collectively that they bring to the leadership of our church is incredibly valued. I, I just, I depend on it in so many different ways, which again, fits into my understanding of the way that women were intended to uh, benefit the church in leadership. And so, um, but I, I look to Kristen as just a really wonderful example of the things that are important to me about an understanding of women in ministry. I think she's just been uh, a great example to all that. Yeah. Well, and I would second that. I mean, I don't have a ton of experience and I don't come from, like, this is my church where I grew up in. And so I've only known one thing. Um, but Kristen, given you said that earlier that you had like 17 different jobs, did you ever think that you'd be on a ministry team, much less a pastor? <laughs> uh, no, I can unequivocally say no, I didn't think that. Um, and thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for all that. I appreciate that. You know, I think um, my naivety to some of that has been a good thing coming <laughs> into this role, <laughs> not really, you know, having a an understanding of what that meant. And I think, you know, having been here uh, 20 years, 20 plus years, I can't say more than 20. It makes me feel older. Been here at the church here for 20 church. years. How long have you been yeah. on staff, even from your supporting role? Uh, on staff, I think nine. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. So I, you know, um, coming in, I didn't, uh, I didn't ever see myself as a pastor per se um, until I had a, uh, I think Paul gave me a greater understanding of what it meant to be a pastor. As Paul alluded to, we grew up in an environment where there was some um, very strict, very um, conservative, not always um, accurate definitions of what a pastor is or could be or what scripture says. Um, So I I just never, it it didn't occur to me. and that naivety, I think, has has helped um, just continue to walk through doors that Paul's opened. And I think it's recently that I have recognized um, the wonderful leadership that we have in Paul here. Um, that is not a view that um, that many women have the opportunity to work under. And so I think I have been protected a little bit in that in some ways. And I recently went to a conference where I had the opportunity to hear some folks' stories. And 
um, women who've grown up in ministry from the very beginning and have had to walk through some very difficult um, times because of a different point of view mm-hmm. about a pastor. So um, I didn't see myself that way, but, um, you know, you asked me a question about or um, put on the on the agenda, you know, what, what was my calling? And I, I don't think I've ever really understood when someone says, it's my calling, what that really means. Yeah, so, neither have I. I. Welcome I don't to think the party, because I don't yeah. either, and I have never been able to point to, you know, the calling moment in my life, and I've always kind of felt really weird about anybody asking me that question. Um, but I, would would you say it's accurate? My observation is you're still trying to find a confident footing in your role as a pastor, um, not necessarily about how you go about executing your responsibilities, but just being comfortable in your skin with somebody thinking of you in terms of a pastor. And so you still, I, you and I, we still have conversations where that's a, a bit of a struggle for you at times, correct? Absolutely, yes. And I, you know, one of the, the things I have been trying to do to um, get past that struggle a little bit is uh, walk through doors that have been opened to me and lean into the fact that the, if the door is open, to, to step through it and, and lean into that. I had someone tell me a couple weeks ago, God doesn't hide his no. So if he didn't want you to walk through those doors, he'd make that clear. Mm-hmm. Now, he may have to shut the door several times for you to recognize it, okay. but which kind of who I am too, but he's not going to hide the no. So if the door's open and you're um, connected with Christ and you're praying about those decisions in the way that you care for people or whatever it is that you're being asked to do in ministry, that um, walk through the door. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm trying to lean into that. But yes, it it's still, I find myself still saying that I work in adult ministries. <laughs> Instead of I'm a pastor. Adult ministries pastor, yeah. Now is that is that um I guess issue or that that struggling that wrestling with the title of pastor is that uh from your own quote unquote self-talk? I hate that phrase, but self-talk or is it more from outside pressure and voices? I think it's twofold why that's a good question. Yes, there is some of that self-talk. I don't like that word either, but yes. (laughs) Um, But it is also um, how I was raised. So the way that I grew up as a Christ follower, still those, those early impressionable years still come forward. I think a lot of us have that in a lot of areas, but that happens to be one of them. And then the second is environment um, views, people's uh, understanding of pastor I'm acutely aware of uh, not wanting to be a barrier to somebody. So um, if my being female and being a pastor is a barrier to someone to Christ, I struggle with that. Now, I know that's not my problem. That's somebody else's, but I struggle with that. So Mm -hmm. people's perceptions and how I was raised both play into some of that self-talk. Yeah. It's interesting that that would even be a barrier. Like, it's more of a church attendance, where you're going to go, than it is a barrier to Christ, at least in my opinion. But 
But anyways, um, so I guess as we go through this question, there's all kinds of weird or different ways to attack this topic. But obviously there's people even amongst our congregation that are curious about this, and I'm sure that I, well, even personally, I am curious about this. I have something, I have an opinion that I want to be the case, (laughs) and then I have doubts that that is the case, and and that's just me being honest. And so... um, People are curious about this, and that's why it was asked. And so uh, if you were asked that on a stage, or if you were asked that on a stage, I guess how, how, do, you, how, we, how do we get this started? Um, let me say this to get started. Cause at the outset, I wanted to make sure that there was no misunderstanding. We're, we're essentially going to explore this question of, you know, women in ministry and women as pastors and women as, you know, preachers. Um, and so I, I wanted to say two things right up front for the audience so there'd be no misunderstanding. The first one is, I don't for a second believe that I'm correct in my understanding of women in ministry and all the ins and outs of it. Um, I have a very open-hand perspective on it. Now, I've done my research, I've done my reading, I've looked at you know data and facts and figures, and I've studied the passages of you know, that are pertinent to the discussion. And I've come to a conclusion. I'm not saying for a moment that my conclusion is correct. It's just the conclusion I came to, and then I felt like I needed to, in a sense, start executing from a place of anchor. Yep. Not necessarily the right place. I'm not insisting that mine is the right way and the other people misunderstand it or have it wrong. I'm just saying I decided a place where I would land And then I would execute from there. But I'm open if somebody else wants to introduce data and information and new, you know, considerations of historical context and cultural context and all that that I don't understand or don't know about. I would I would welcome that information any day of the week. And I'm very aware of the fact that you could line up 50 scholars um, people with genuine, sincere relationships with Christ, people with a high view of the authority of Scripture and its inspiration and its authority in the life of us as Christ followers, people who are li- literal scholars, theologians, they know the Greek, the Hebrew, they have studied the Scriptures in depth, and they far outpace me in all of that kind of scholarly um, accomplishment. You could line up 50 of them. 50 of them may have a different perspective than I've come to. And even among the 50 of them, there would be different perspectives and conclusions about some of these key passages and about the dynamics and the inner workings of women in ministry. So I I have never felt like it's a settled sort of, you know, definitive declaration that... um, I'm either working against or I'm working for. So I'm first to say, I don't know that I'm correct, but I'm moving forward with what I've decided. The second thing that I want to say from the beginning, and this may help a lot with my responses to questions throughout the podcast, my highest interest has never been, quote unquote, women in ministry. That's just, I mean, that's interesting to me, and I know that there's, you know, challenges and implications to it all. My highest, greatest interest has always been redemptive community. Mm -hmm. My understanding of the church 
as this community of people who share an affinity around faith in Jesus Christ in the deep belief that the gospel is transformative and that it's through the power of the gospel that people's lives can be restored from the fallenness or the brokenness that sin has created in our life. So I look at everything through that lens. So then I look at the question of women in ministry and women as pastors and women as preachers. I look at it from the perspective of what would redemptive community offer us by way of understanding these passages and this, this discussion. And so I'm always trying to fit everything in relationship to redemptive community. And here's an interesting observation in this long story discussion about women in ministry is it seems like there's so much of the work that's done to accommodate the place of women after the fall. And I'm not working to create accommodations for something after the fall. I'm most interested in what was God's design before the fall, mm-hmm. when everything was perfect and as he intended it. I, that's what I want to see restored when it comes to the way we go about living our lives in a Christian community. So then I'm really looking at uh, pre-Genesis 3. I'm looking at Genesis 1 and 2 to really decide who are women and how are women and what are they to men in God's understanding, not social understanding, but God's understanding, and then ask the question in a redemptive community, what is the place of women? What is the role of women? What is the contribution of women? It's... Genesis 1 and 2, not Genesis 3 and after. So that's just a unique perspective of mine. I don't know if everybody comes at it from that perspective. And again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that is my perspective. And I'm trying to design a church that I hope I will leave, you know, after 40-some years of serving it, that will be a healthy expression of a redemptive community, including how women serve in the life of that church. And I'd like to just set the stage, too, as well, that just because I'm a woman who finds myself with the opportunity to pastor people, to take care of people, I in no way want to be or am I the spokesperson for women in ministry. That I never had any designs for that, and and I didn't pursue... um, even questions about that until I felt this uh, need to understand the conversation because of the questions I was being asked. I wanted to care for those questions well and to respond well, both as a, as a pastor, as a, as a wife, as a mom. And so I just felt like in order to answer and to care well, uh, for those roles, I needed to understand sure. the conversation. So I just being a woman in ministry doesn't mean I'm suddenly a voice or have any extra uh, knowledge or understanding about that. Yeah, but see, topic. I think so I think that's what makes you such a beautiful expression of it is that you're not taking some sort of assertive role in you know defining it or deciding it or you know demanding it you you have this very humble gentle sincere way about you and your heart is i just want to serve people i want to serve people on behalf of christ 
And if you're going to call me a pastor and give me empowerment to do that in a you know, kind of a professional way, great. But you would do that if you didn't have the role, if you didn't have the title, which in my my mind is the reason why you should have the title. It's because it's it's just the way of who you are. And so that's what I love about you and Ashley and Charlotte and Janine. I mean, you're all wonderful expressions of it's not some sort of, you know, posture that you take to defend the, the role of women in ministry. You're you're welcoming the opportunity to serve God's church. And I think that really humble, gentle way about you is why I'm really, really thankful and proud of you guys in that role or you ladies in that role. And, you know, I think on the flip side of that too is yes, 50-50 split. I'm seeing that just as you say it, as I'm on this journey to discover, you know, kind of more answers to those questions or about the dialogue that's happening around it. I also think on the flip side, it's a great conversation for churches and pastors to have, Mm -hmm. even if there's not a definitive, here's what it should be, that within that journey and that dialogue, I'm learning some things that are pretty fascinating. Yeah. You know, just about um, context and... um, that the scriptures is a living, breathing thing that we are always still learning and understanding. And this topic is a great one to, mm-hmm. to sure. practice that. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess I'll jump on the preface train. Um, I, I will probably end up playing somewhat of the role of like a devil's advocate just because one, I have my own questions that are genuine. And then two, given that, well, I'm assuming that y'all at least stand somewhere closer together than those who would oppose you or oppose the stance. I just want to do them justice and, and yeah. do the question justice. And so um, so that's where I'm going to be coming from. And so, Paul, you said that you, or that maybe we shouldn't be looking at just these verses that seem to be straightforward, but rather we should start in the beginning. And Kristen, I know we've had conversations before where you've said the same thing. And so why start back there and confuse a seemingly, this is what people would say, a seemingly straightforward thing? If I understand your question, there's some, I think some foundational bedrock principles that are introduced in Genesis 1 and 2 that establish not just women in ministry kinds of discussions um, establish society and family and gender and you know a host of really mm-hmm. critical uh, topics of life and the the part that has always resonated with me in the sense that it's just so intriguing and I want to I want to explore everything that it, it contains it, it contains is male and female he created them in his image and then I think it says either once again or a second time, male and female, he created them. And when, when I look at this idea of the image of God, then what I conclude is that male, men and their unique maleness as God created them, captured the image of God. And then equally, female, women, captured the image of God. 
But there's a reason why I think God created both. And there's a reason why uh, at the end of, uh, what is it, Genesis chapter 2, uh, the two become one. And here's just my take. Uh, again, I'm not saying I'm correct. I'm, I'm thinking, and this may go back to the understanding of how woman, the woman was going to be a helper, as God said when he created her, is that there's something about men and male that reflects the image of God, but it's not complete. The completeness comes through what we learn about the image of God through the expression of female. And so it's together, male and female, he created them, that we come to a full and complete understanding of the image of God and who he is and what he's like. And so you have men, and they reflect the image of God, but you don't have everything that you can understand about God just in the expression of male. There's some incredible revelations of what God is like and who he is in the female creation. And so that's why, in my perspective, the two becoming one is this is the fullest expression of the image of God that you will find. So then I take that into Genesis 3 and after, and then I look at it in the terms of the church, and I go, okay, so that image of God got damaged, it got marred in the fall, and all of the problems and chaos and confusion and you know contamination that created because of sin in men and sin in women and all the different ways that we we act out in relationship to our depravity so that what God's seeking to restore through the power of the gospel is a restoration of a understanding of the complete and full image of God as born out in men and women that's why I think the church has to have the voice, the input, the empowerment, the presence and activity of women. Otherwise, if it's just a male-dominated community or culture, it fails to see the complete expression of the image of God in their midst. Mm -hmm. So I think that was what your question was. It, it begins for me that foundational Male and female, he created them in the image of God, that you need both to truly grasp the nature of God in its fullness. And then often, the reason you start there, what I'm learning is that often those verses that you're referring to that were part of a lot of the Q&A questions, the ones that people point to, in the defense of those verses, often that concept is pointed back to that the creation order that there was a some sort of a hierarchy created in that creation order that then supports or justifies um, some of the ways that those verses were translated so often it it comes back to the creation story in a in a hierarchy mm -hmm. sort of uh, definition when in reality, God created man, woman came from man, woman then has the ability to have children and populate the earth. Ultimately, Mary then births Jesus, who is the restoration of the fall that happened back in the creation story. So 
there's a there's a connection and a theme that's more of a linear rather than a hierarchical argument. So that's kind of getting in the weeds a little bit, but that's why you go back to that foundation that Paul just talked about because so much of the um, the verses hinge on how you view yeah. that story at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I was listening to a couple of different uh, commentators or teachers this week in anticipation of our podcast. And that is a lot of heartburn for people, particularly in um, the First Peter 2 passage where, uh, you know, it, the woman's supposed to do this because of what we see in the created creation story. And um, it, it just comes from my understanding is that that's a really incorrect understanding of the creation story and what I, you know when i look at those key passages what first corinthians 11 and was it is it first timothy, timothy, first timothy. Timothy. Uh, first timothy 2 um they they are they are incredibly important verses but they don't exist in and of themselves there is a host of other passages of scripture that talk about the value of women and the the presence of women and the input of women and so i have to look at those two or three key passages in the context of the larger uh themes of scripture and and like for instance like i when i look at redemptive community you can't miss the thread about the new testament church that uh, love and unity were supposed to be the prevailing winds of the church, love and unity. And th- those are there. And so I have to take a passage like 1 Timothy 2 or 1 Corinthians 11, and I have to go, okay, how does that work in relationship to love and unity? And so this kind of spirit that says, well, women, you're, you're not supposed to say anything, and you can't have any authority, and you can't have any leadership, and you can't preach. I go, really? How, how does that cultivate love and unity? I'm not saying I have the answer, but it, it has to be justified because those other variables of Scripture, I think, are just as important as an understanding of those particular passages of Scripture. So, again, in my, my favor toward redemptive community and my understanding of love and unity as the prevailing winds of a church— then I have to interpret 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11 and a couple of the other passages in light of that as well as other passages of Scripture. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I heard one person uh, talk about this in terms of submission versus mutual submission Hmm. and that there is such a great distinction that we don't put weight on with that and you cannot have mutual submission in a submission environment. There's always somebody that's lesser. Yeah. I, it's like saying, you know, somebody can be a general. The analogy, I can't remember what the analogy was, but it was mutual submission is part of that one flesh. So while there may be different roles, there's a mutual submission to each other. And even if you think of that in terms of a family, um, there is a mute, uh, submission of children to their parents. So it doesn't make any sense to have a, um, a wife 
being in the same way as a child submissive to her husband, that's confusing if you, if you think of it in terms of hierarchy. But if it's a mutual submission to each other, and then your children are sub- submissive to the parent role, it would it would be like calling the husband a parent of the of the wife. So anyway, that that mutual submission is helpful in understanding that love and unity has to occur in a mutually submissive environment. Exactly, because a redemptive community is mutually submissive. It Submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ and submitting to one another out of love, that's for men as much as it is for women. So it's the nature of redemptive community to be submissive to one another out of a mutual submission. I I love it. I I think this is so uh, valuable. It, It often gets lost. You know, everyone's favorite passage for women submitting to their husbands, wives submitting, is Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. And what the casual reader of the, of the scriptures doesn't understand, the word submit isn't even there in the Greek language. So it literally reads, wives to your husbands. The word submit is actually borrowed from the previous verse, verse 21. So he's talking about submission and he just carries it forward into the discussion about wives, submit to your husbands. So Whatever submit to your husband means has to be the same as what it means in verse 21 where it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the instruction to the church is there's going to be times that I, as pastor, I submit to the input of Wyatt. There's going to be times in my marriage that I submit to the input of my wife because she's so wise. And I do well. I'm wise as a person, as a follower of Christ. If I humble my heart and my posture to let my wife speak into my life because God's using her in my life in that moment of you know whatever we're dealing with. So there's this, there's this sense that the entire body of Christ is supposed to be humble and flexible and open to receive the input of others will take that spirit of mutual submission that prevails throughout the redemptive community. And that's the spirit of Paul saying, wives, I want you to be open to your husband's input. I want you to be humble and flexible to receive what he might have to say. Because the truth of the matter is you go back to Genesis 3, and part of the curse as it related to Eve was she was going to have a hard time after the fall submitting to the input of a husband she was going to have a wrestling match with the authority of men that was going to be a part of how the fall reflected in the lives of women and so paul in ephesians 5 he's saying ladies as wives don't take this posture that he's not going to tell me what to do because that's not going to be good for your marriage i want you to have an open humble-minded heart about the input of your husband in your life then he goes on to say, you know, husbands love your wives. But I think the real, uh, a real key here is you come down to verse 33 of chapter 5 in Ephesians. It says, so he's, summar, he's summarizing the entire discussion in those, what, 10 verses. Each one of you must love his wife. That's the summary of what he's saying to men. As he loves himself. And the wife must, what? 
respect her husband. So what that tells me in verse 33 is essentially his idea of the word submission in verse 22 is, wives, I want you to just respect the nature, the role, the input, the love of your husband. Respect him as a person, as a follower of Christ, as a, another human being. Respect him. This isn't about some kind of dominance and, you know, you take the lesser role and I'll boss you around and you are, you know, you do my things and make my life easy. That, that's, that's not at all the spirit of Ephesians 5.22 or 5.33. But that interpretation makes a whole lot more sense in redemptive community. This redemptive community is restoring that beautiful picture of unity that we see in Adam and Eve both being created as equals, bearing the image of God in the garden. And I would agree with that because I think that, well, I have a couple things I want to say. This question, though it sounds particular to ministry leadership and how that's set up, I think gets further down into the roles of men and women, particularly in the family like we've been touching on. And uh, that conversation I think is really important for today, given the confusion. Um, but I guess going off of what you just talked about in Ephesians 5, uh, 22 through 23, um, do you think that the woman can't – Because okay. So I'll slow down. I agree with you whenever you said that it's more about respect than submission. And we were talking about this the other day is that this word submit is kind of what gets us. It's more about respect now. than dominance. Yes. Hierarchy and versus. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, but I'm not tossing out high, the word hierarchy just yet, at least me personally, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it, I mean it in the way of dominance. Okay. Um, because that is the way that, I would say, and I think people would agree with that, uh, the word has been perversed by us, by man, uh, is because we're seeing it as this power hierarchy thing, which uh, people have the proclivity to get into, obviously. Um, but I guess, would you both say that men and women have different roles in, say, the family? Yes, roles and responsibilities are probably more accurate than hierarchy. That's my my take. On okay, that. but let's 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 not roles within the household. Let's roles <laughs> as men and women. <laughs> <laughs> so drill down in how are the roles and responsibilities assigned? Well, if you're talking about household, I'm talking about as men and men and women, God created us different. Different, like you said, there's there's unique parts of God's personality. How He created a woman mm-hmm. is a, a compliment to, not to steal that word because I don't really like it, but um, He created men in His image as well. They're still different, so we don't right. have to be like each other. So by the nature of our difference, we're going to have gifts and talents and ways that we do life, the ways that we operate in life that exactly. assume different roles. Okay, so you're you're talking my language because you're talking redemptive community. Yes. Redemptive community thrives when people 
are engaged in ways that complement their personality, which God gave them, their temperament, which God gave them, their gifts, which God gave them. So I think in a marriage, husband and wife distribute roles and responsibilities based on their personality, their strengths, their giftedness. And if that's all mutual submission, hey, honey, you're better at that than I am. So she willingly does that. In my case, it's often my wife saying, you're worse at this than I am, so uh, I'll go ahead and take care of this for you. Um, but I, that's see, that to me is the beautiful picture of the equality that exists in how God created men and women and how he designed marriage. The two shall become one, and then in the, in the ways that God designed them, they figure out the best ways to distribute the roles and responsibilities, rather than... He's the boss, and he tells you, no, you're going to do this, this, and this, and I'll do these things because, well, I'm the boss. That, I think, doesn't reflect Jesus at all. It doesn't reflect the image of God. It doesn't reflect the Trinity. You don't have that sort of spirit in the Trinity. And so, I again, I think so much of what we make of these particular passages has to be done has to be understood in the larger context of the, the spirit of Scripture. And wouldn't you say, I mean... I think one of the words that we have to put out here is self-sacrifice, that there is a narrative of, of sacrifice as part of that submission and love. So if I'm clamoring to do something because I want to do it, that is self. That's, that's me being selfish about what I want. So if I'm always viewing my role no matter if it's pastor or wife or parent, in a way that's self-sacrificing, if I'm honest about that, then my question is always going to be, what's best? What's best for you and I as a couple, Doug and I, or what's best as um, adult ministry pastor versus the children's pastor? We're always going to be self-sacrificing. And the minute you take away mutual submission and it's submission it's hard to interject self-sacrifice on behalf of the one that's on the top right because then you're just telling instead of mutual submission or self-sacrifice well and that, i think that's that's the case i mean but you could make that i guess you could make an argument like any leader who does that will be ousted Fairly quickly. Like, for instance, mm. I mean, over time they will. Nobody likes some tyrannical leader. For instance, if you, like, I work underneath you, Paul. I guess we all do. But if you were a jerk and you were power hungry and you just demanded things be one way or another, like, I've heard of pastors being that way, and they run people off. People don't stick around. And and I know that that can become really, really weird in the, in the context of a, of a relationship. But a wise and good leader will have that mutual respect and even submit to the opinions and thoughts of others. Um, but he's still the leader. There's still right. somebody making a decision at the top and kind of pointing the ship somewhere. Now, if he starts to point that ship in a way that everybody else in the ship doesn't like, there's going to be a quote unquote mutiny on their hands. Right. right. But, but that leadership is based on a role and a responsibility. It isn't based on a gender. And I think that's where it's important. An owner or a master or a, um, all the things that you want to um, assign to that, 
it's really a role and a responsibility. There are going to be people who are leaders who have greater responsibilities and different roles. And some of those responsibilities are above uh, another in terms of how that organization is structured. But that isn't uh, assigned or given strictly based on economics or where you were born into or your race or your gender or any of those things. And that's where we, I think as humans, we mess that up. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So what you were talking about just a few minutes ago, Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives, huh? Like Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? Self-sacrifice. And he's the leader of a church. He's the leader, but his leadership is born out of his sacrificial spirit toward providing for the needs of that church. I agree. Okay, so um, there's so much about just that understanding of who Christ is to the church that paints the picture of how the New Testament community was supposed to work. And I think that figures in then to the discussion of women in ministry and to push them out or to dismiss or demean them into silence and no contribution. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the picture. And that's my problem with how I interpret those passages is it has to fit the larger context. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I guess I'll go back to why I don't, why I don't want to throw out the word hierarchy. Um, And we often associate power with hierarchy and we got into this conversation the other day, Paul, but um, I guess like Christ loved the church, you brought that up. Christ is the head of the church, and also we need to talk about what head means. Yes, there's also a do. verse where it says that <laughs> that Christ is the head of man, man's head of the woman, woman's head of the children, and God is the head of Christ, I think. That's how it goes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, if it's just respect, and it's like, say there's a leader that's wise and respectful and um, not dominant and power-hungry, such as Christ, everybody still considers him the leader. There, There is a hierarchy there that exists amongst us in relationship to Christ. Does that stop there? In the same way, there is a hierarchy between children and their parents, or mother or father. Each one individually is true. Are they different? There's a weirder conversation, but... Um, does that hierarchy stop there, skip man and woman, and then continue again in relation to people in general and the church and God? Like, so does it just skip? Let me ask you a question. You're talking about 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, Yeah. Or 11, 3. Sorry. 11, 3. Um, do you want to, do you want to read that? I don't have it in front of me. It's right here. But um, it, so when you read it, if you look at the order of that and you apply hierarchy to it, there is a problem with it. So will you read it, Paul? Do you have First Corinthians eleven three? I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So how do you account for the head of Christ of is God if that's a hierarchical order? And that's where we have to talk about hierarchy versus head. So oftentimes we assign head our, this is, this is a journey I'm learning. This is not Kristen knowing any of this. This Wait, is on. a journey I have walked. Clar- clarification. <laughs> are you talking about 
how do we account for the head of Christ as God because they are both? Because, because they are you're both saying God? that's a hierarchical order in that verse. Um, with the how they're listed, the order mm-hmm. of which they're listed. Yes. No. How do you say that God is the head of Christ if it's hierarchy? If Christ and God are one and the same. Well, there we got in this the other day. There might be a hierarchy that exists even amongst the Trinity. It doesn't make them any less one, right? But. So. This is where I love it. I love it. I love it. We're all like kids in a candy store right now. So head, I'm understanding the way that it was translated um, and the way that we interpret it in our today's culture is that is a hierarchical term, the head, right? The head, the body, it's the top. The actual word that was used really meant fountainhead or source, life source. So the head is the life source of the body. And so if you if you look at it in terms of that, it is saying that Christ is the life source of man. Man is the life source of woman. She came directly from his body. Children are the wife, the the female is a life source of her children. And ultimately God is the life source of Christ who came to this earth earth to redeem his fallen children. It goes through the entire scripture narrative. God creating man, woman came from man, children populated the earth. He's sending his son back to the earth so that we can once again have a restored relationship, and he's trying to restore the original intent of his church, his children, the body of Christ, the family. Society. So if you, so if you, society, if you understand head, I think, you know, so often in a lot of these verses, head and authority become the, the issue, the problem. Mm. And if head... So much of it then becomes clearer when you understand head as the life source as opposed to the hierarchy. That does it for this episode. Come back next week for part two. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CibolaCreek.com. Thanks for listening.